We are in Genesis chapter 2, the last two verses. We have been slowly meandering through Genesis because of its import to all of reality. We miss this, we miss so much. And this is why the earth, why our culture seems to be going off the rails. Because uh, they don't get it in so many ways. And they're starting with their own desires and their own yearnings and what they think about what they see. And it's all good. It's all good. And it's not because it runs contrary to what God's word said. Last week we looked at woman. um, That we should glory in God's goodness in the female. Female is good. Um, We should delight in God's kindness in the male. The male is good. Male and female are good. We saw that in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother. We talked about the literal nature of that and perhaps the figurative nature in that in some places and some cultures. We talked about the necessity to cleave to the wife, to adhere to the wife, to cling to the wife. To, and that is needful and necessary because that is the only way this one fleshness can really flesh out. Um, the one flesh, literal, figurative, yes. Um, it is... Why do you marry who you married? Why, why did you marry who you married? Sarah, why did you marry who you married? Because God appointed me and he asked me and I said yes. Okay. So, you know, if, if we want to look in the sovereign cosmic universe, God joined you to Jeremy. God joined Arnold to Elaine. God joined me to that last Right there. Okay. God joined us together through our decisions and our, you know, through circumstances. And it's pretty interesting just if you were to weave the pathway of, you know, your histories and how ultimately your paths crossed on that strange and peculiar day. But we are God joined. And we, we didn't touch on it much. But there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as well today. So um, you might want to stick a finger in 1 Corinthians 7. But in the chapter preceding that, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 to 20, Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Great. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Okay, your body is God's body. More on that here in just a minute. God raised the Lord and will raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Um, never. You know, you can double underline that, highlight it, score it in red, whatever. Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. So, even before the destruction or the damage of the one flesh of husband and wife, there's a greater thing, and that's you are God's. And you are your husband's or your wives. And we'll talk about more, more on that uh, when we are looking at intimacy here. And this is how Paul... Also, and we looked at this in Ephesians chapter 5, expresses the allegory, the greater allegory of marriage, that the intimacy between a husband and wife is a picture. Kind of like the temple is a picture of heaven. The tabernacle is meant to give people a taste of far greater glories. So even the one fleshness between a husband and wife, as, as extraordinary as that is, is itty-bitty compared to the glories of the union of Christ and the church. And you get the picture of that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we were touching on that. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, so you can bounce back to Genesis chapter 2 right now as we get into the lesson proper. Uh, Sarah brought up a great question about, well, what, what then is marriage, kind of? You know, how is one officially married? What's the, what's the recipe in scripture for how do you say that then thusly you are married? And so, in our in our in the United States in Texas, North Texas, how is it that two people are recognized as married? They get a marriage license and they find someone who's qualified, which is doesn't take much of anything in the state of Texas okay. to be qualified to perform a wedding ceremony. Okay. And that person signs the marriage license saying you both said I do and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's, one, that's one way. And another way, uh, I had the experience with the tax office. They came up a lot with they marry two people financially. If these two people declare their finances together, okay. in the eyes of the IRS, they are considered uh, with joint fighting. Joint common law marriage. Yeah. You know, common law, that if two people cohabit long enough, the state just goes out of marriage. Um, Don't they have to introduce themselves as husband and wife, though? 
you know, I, in, in some states, I don't know that that is an, a necessity, which, which brings up the point is it's, it's a mess mm-hmm. right now. What is marriage? Ah! So really, if we were to go north of the border, south of the border, across the seas and into various jungles or steppes or high mountains, we're going to find marriage being something different in all of these places. But almost to a society, the male-female relationship is seen as unique and has been. It is only recently that the whole... sexual free-for-all, and I won't even say homosexuality, we'll talk about homosexuality here in a little bit, but really it's a sexual free-for-all. It's a relational free-for-all. What do you want it to be? Use your imagination, and you can, how many do you want involved in this relationship? And it, it makes your head swim. So what constitutes a marriage could be cultural, um, to, to be officially recognized, uh, at the very least, we see commitment involved. I am committing myself to this person. And oftentimes you see community recognizing this or standing as a witness to it. And um, we see in Matthew chapter 19, we looked at that, Jesus Christ himself declaring that it is God who joins them together, male and female, and it is God's intention. Marriage is God's intention. This one fleshness described here in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh is God's intention. That a new thing is created between the man and the woman. A new entity with God-given purpose, for dominion, stewardship, procreation, and really for each other. For each other. What a blessing to our. Um, you know, I talk about, uh, I, I teach formation flying at, at the base. And when you're all by yourself in your airplane, and it's just you, and you have a problem with your airplane, it's like, eh, and you want to read the checklist, procedures. It'd be really nice if there was somebody out there on your wing, just kind of hanging out out there, who could look at your airplane and go, can you see anything weird on the outside of my airplane? Anything weird going on out there? Hey, could you read the checklist for me? Having a wingman there. Um, it is not good for man to be alone. We address that. So marriage defined seems pretty plain, pretty clear in Scripture this way. How does it flesh out from culture to culture? It depends. So a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the male to the female, and the two shall become one flesh. So then what of gay marriage? And as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we could we could look at polyamory. We could look at two guys and a woman. We could look at three or four women. And that's like a completely, well, not completely different issue, but they, they all deal with the same thing. And am I going to reject what God 
has put on the table. This is what God says, and so I'm going to reject it. Um, what will the culture say about gay marriage and our opposition to it? Okay. We'll say if they love each other and they're committed to each other, what harm is it doing? Oh, absolutely. Compromise. Absolutely. You know, they. You look at you look at these two people. We don't. They're just knitting and just, you know. Anytime they have an opportunity, they're they're dissing one another in public. And but but these two these two guys over here, man. They're just, their relationship's a beautiful thing. And you go, which is better? What would the culture say? This, you know, the two guys. What would, what would God say? God would say they're both a mess. Because this is, this is not God's intention either. But you can't take a bad example to exalt and... Another bad example. In marriage, and this goes back to some of the fundamentals, who is supposed to unite? Like who is the one who does? No, no. Which which, Which two, what, what two come together? A man and a woman, a man and a woman come together, okay? And we've talked about this, but let's, let's, what is, what's, what's interesting about man and woman? They're alike but different. They're alike but different. They are alike but different. Okay? How are they alike? Made in the image of God. Okay, they they both have the imago dei, you know, the image of God. They both carry the image of God, male and female, he created them. How else are they alike? Two arms, two legs. There we go. You know, uh, Jerry Stevens, great example. Jerry Stevens uh, donated his kidney to his daughter, and every one of the chromosomes in Jerry's kidney is XY. And every chromosome in Kristen's body is XX. And so there are some things that are sim- similar, sameness. There's a sameness. And then yet there's a difference. Is it just in the physical that male and female are different? Yes, absolutely. Well, that kind of is physical, but it plays itself out in the emotional and, yeah. In the intangible. Yeah, I mean, it just... 
the, the, the differences between man and woman are almost, I mean, we, and we talked about it with regard to man and woman. And God's intention is for these two like but different people to come together to make a new thing, okay? It goes beyond the physical hooking up. It goes beyond just relationship. Okay? Can two guys have an intimate relationship? Yeah, they probably can. They probably can care for each other greatly. Okay? So then, what's the problem? It's not the way God intended for it to be. Okay, it is not God's intention. Therefore, what can you say unequivocally if it's not God's intention? It's wrong. It's wrong. Sin. That's moral. I mean, we're, it's against his will. It's sin. But go back to Genesis chapter 1 in God's creation. It is not good. It's not good. It is not good. Okay. And so even though we go, hey, this relationship is, oh, you know, it looks really great on the outside. Ultimately, it is destructive. But I don't see that. I don't care. Because God has said this, because God has ordained this, we can know this. If they are rejecting God's design, and you can go to Romans chapter 1, read through Romans chapter 1, and one of the ways as man begins to lust after other men, as we re reject God's word. That is one of the ways that the curse is manifest in the world around us, is we begin to have appetites and affections that are contrary to the living God. <clears throat> you know, the, the union between a man and a woman is part of one, of one of the things it does is it does satisfy a sexual appetite. But that physical relationship is more than the consummation of a, a sexual appetite, more than the satisfying of that. And what God has intended in the male-female union cannot be satisfied with two women. It cannot be satisfied with two men. And I don't care if you start adding others on to the outside of this in a polygamous, polyamorous relationship, now you are, again, defying what God has declared here in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and Matthew chapter 19, if you want to go to the Lord's authoritative statement. And the two shall be, two, two shall be one flesh. So then, what do I do if I have homosexual attractions? 
and and I will I will go, un, I will simply extend that beyond the homosexual to say, what if I have unnatural attractions? And it, yeah, I won't, I won't go any further than that. What do I do? Isn't that what's going on in these days since the sexual revolution started? It's that every possible combination out there is supposed to be acceptable? It is. So what do I do if, if no kidding, I have that? Am I sinning if I have an, an, a, an attraction toward another guy? You're saying I as a believer. Yes, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm married. And what if I'm going, man, I am having affections for another guy. Um, and I don't... There is a gay Christian called Matthew Vines. I don't know if you've heard of him. He would justify that. I mean, he would even debate about Romans 1 about. Yeah, they do. Actually responding to, reacting to that now. Yeah, a lot of them will, will chunk it, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to this. But we'll, we, have to, we have to cling to what this says. Now, is it a sin for me to have a temptation? No. Temptation is not a sin. Okay? Any more than it is for me as a married man to be tempted by another woman. Okay? Are those things going to happen? Yes! We live in a fallen world. Absolutely. As a woman, you're going to be tempted by other guys. As a single you're going to be tempted by everything. I mean, they're going to keep dangling carrots until you take one of them. So, you know, James says each one is tempted. But we are not tempted by God. We are not Tempted by God, for God will tempt. God's intention is not to tempt anyone to sin. Excuse me. Well, why do I have this if it's not simple? To act on it is sinful. Okay, to act on it would be to would be sinful, but. I'm a guy. Why would I have a desire for other guys if that's not God's intention in the creation? The fall, the same reason why I have temptation toward any sin. Absolutely. We're broken. Each one of us is broken. Well, and scripture tells us that that's what Satan does all the time. He and his minions, he's out to destroy and he is the one that will dangle that carrot. So, it may be, no kidding, not because of culture, not because of my parents, but just because that I have an inherent temptation toward a thing that is not proper. How do I know it's not proper? Because God's word says so. 
over and over and over again. And there will be folks out there who do all kinds of gymnastics to say, that's not so. But you can appeal to Romans chapter 1, you can appeal to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Uh, there's hardly a letter of Paul's that doesn't exhort us not to go into sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage. What is marriage? Between a male and a female. Which would deal with homosexual relationships, adulterous relationships, pedophilic relationships, and any kind of aberration. So if I have this inclination then, I understand it's not a sin. I understand I can't act on it. What do I do? What? Kill it. You'd be killing sin, or it'd be killing you. All right, Romans chapter 8, 13 says, We put to death the deeds of the flesh. But if you live by the Spirit, you will live. You put to death the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8, 13. But if you live by the Spirit, you will live. If, but if by the Spirit, you will live. So I have to act on... I have to deal with that temptation. Okay? Now, can God change my appetite? Yes. Un unequivocally, definitively, always? Will he always? But yeah. Will he always? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So if a man has an affection for a woman, it is, I would say it's not proper for a Christian to go, well, you know, if you just try hard enough, you can start liking women. You know, maybe not. Maybe not. But I do know unequivocally that he ought not to act on his sin or act on that temptation. Because for him to act on that temptation would be sin. <clears throat> so are we... Condemning him to singleness. You know, he's, oh, he can't marry now because his appetites, you know, he can't act on those. And so we're putting a, a, a hateful, hateful burden on him. Am I condemned to singleness? We're talking about with regard to homosexual appetites. But I feel like it's the same thing. If you if someone says that, well, I'm I'm like God wouldn't do that to me because then I'm condemned to never get married. But I may never get married either. Is that a condemnation? Awesome. Okay, that's I part, hope that, not. That's part of it. Excellent. <laughs> singleness singleness is not a condemnation. But I can't act on my temp I can't act on my desires. Who can? Jesus. You know, I can't act on all my desires. I can't. And you know what? I'm not condemned. Because God makes clear in his word that to fight that fight is a glory to him and a glory to you. 
And when I cling to Christ as my all-sufficiency, I have something far greater in Christ than I have in my woman of an extraordinary magnitude. You know, and so for the single who desires to be married or for the one with homosexual inclinations that desires that relationship, you go, I can't, I can't act on that any more than it would be wise for a single woman to go out and go, you, hey, you know, to, you know, standing on a street corner, you know, husband, please, anyone, right there, you go, no. No. Can appetites change? Yes, they can. Do they always? No, not necessarily. The Rosario Butterfield was a... Yeah. We left of left professor of feminist studies at Syracuse. And a... A full-on wholesale lesbian. And then a peculiar relationship with a pastor and his wife started. And she came to know Christ as Savior. And she was like, And came to these conclusions that we've talked about here with regard to that appetite and realized the proper appetite was for was for a man that is a proper appetite and she didn't necessarily have that and a man began to show an affection for her and so she began a friendship with him that became an affection for him now I'm not there I'm married and have a bunch of kids and have all kinds of ministry together. And Rosario Butterfield is one who will advocate for and and to to refer to somebody as a gay Christian would be to like referring to you as an angry Christian. You're an angry Christian. Why are you labeling yourself based on a sin? Sin response. You know, a, a, a sinful inclination. I have this, you know, I announce to everybody I have this sinful inclination. No, you are a child of the living God. You are a man who sins. You are a female who sins. You are a wife who sins. You are a husband who sins. That is what you are in actuality, in God's eyes. I'm not a gay Christian any more than I'm a an adulterous Christian. You know, and, and, and so to, to live in my true identity and to declare my true identity and not to exalt my sin. Now, man, the, the person who struggles with sin in the church is a valuable person in the church. Because so often in the church, we want to go, oh, I'm great. I'm really super righteous and I don't have any sin issues. And we You're have a liar. We, <laughs> from my wife. 
Yeah. That to we have we have a great marriage. Do we have a perfect marriage? No, we don't have a perfect marriage. I wasn't calling you a liar. No, I, I was just saying that hypothetical <laughs> person you were talking about. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 false. And so, and again, I, I don't advocate that we stand on the table and announce and confess all our sins before everybody in the church. But you must have some brothers and sisters who help you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Any, any, any comments, questions on this before we move on? I anchor here simply because the culture forces us to. If we were talking about this in 1970, we probably wouldn't have talked about this in such great detail. But now we're, we're forced to. I just have one general question that could Please. be for any kind of topic like this. Mm -hmm. Do we argue, argue not mainly, you know what I mean, discuss, <laughs> for, in this case... Truth? Yeah, if the other person does not heed the word of God. Um, wow. If, if I'm invited into this conversation, I mean, I can't, I can't just compromise the truth. Um, and, and if they don't heed the word of God, I don't care. Yeah. You know, because I have to, the only thing I can say with absolute authority is that God has a better thing them and it's not to go into a relationship that God declares sinful and they can go nuts to you and you go okay but God's word has to have its day um, can I argue sociologically yeah you can you can look at societies that have given themselves over to homosexuality and and almost to a society you see destruction you see destruction, rot, decay, and before long that country is no more. Or it's taken over by somebody else. <clears throat> Good question. James brings up the point that we are tempted because of our own desires. Mm-hmm. heartstrings of our own desires, of our own evil desires. And, and go ahead, Mark. Um, I can't remember the name of the study, but there was a group that was appointed by some government organization to figure out what was the key reasons why civilizations ended. Mm -hmm. And you almost would never guess what it is. It's one thing. Go ahead. The, Dissolution of a marriage, of the respect for the marriage covenant. Wow. Every single country that dissolved did so because their marriages started falling apart first. It was a, a real astounding thing for the people that came up with it. <laughs> they really wanted to find something else. It was the same thing. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew that, that the, the nucleus of society was the family, the husband and wife? Who knew? Oh, God did. 
Who is the one for me? We touched on this last week. The standard joke is the one who is wearing your ring. If you are married, that is the one for you. However, uh, you know, in, in looking at that God is the one who joins us together, well, I don't just then go, okay, whatever. God joins us together. I have to apply wisdom going forward. Uh, and this should be, and I, I share this simply because as Christians, we are all going to have opportunities to speak to people in these areas. Um, more and more do couples seek counsel in getting married. Yep. Do more and more and more do couples seek counsel getting married? No. Do they seek counsel in their relationship with one another? No, I just like her. Hey, what do you what do you think of, of her? You know, hey, here's here's how our relationship's going. To a brother in Christ, to a pastor, to a father, to a mother. No, we don't. Nope. All by myself. All by myself. You know, I'm going to figure it out all by myself. I'm going to figure out this marriage relationship all by myself. You go, well, that's really dumb. We're going to Google and YouTube everything else. We're going to look for somebody who knows how to do this, turn this wrench here to stand beside me. Why not in marriage? Why not in this relationship going forward? Do I not seek the counsel of those who've been there, done that, got that t-shirt? Of those who have good marriages. Man. You know, what? Well, I, I think you just said something interesting there because I think a lot of the younger generation, um, even if they do seek out, I want to call it wisdom, an opinion about their marriage, it, they're not necessarily looking for someone with a good marriage to unload to. I mean, it's their friends who it, it yeah, like scripture. Yeah, yeah Rabo mm -hmm. and his yeah, friends. Exactly. You ask the council of the old guys or the my buds. Yeah. We typically want to go to our buds. Yeah, they want old guys. What is a biblical marriage? You know, is it is it for us? Is it for self-actualization? I want to actualize myself more and so I want to know who more I know. Our marriage is for God's glory. Our marriage ultimately is for God's glory. Whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God to include marriage. Like, Yep. Yes. And you couple all of that with the Jesus with words, do not be unequally yoked. A friend is closer than a brother. So you're so you're building a solid foundation with this one person that you want to be built your life with. You're. You know, it is a freaky couple 
that does this because of the raging hormones of youth. You know, and the high energy and high octane vigor of youth that they, you know, oftentimes they will simply either plow into marriage or not plow into a marriage. They'll just plow into relationship and hook up for a time and test out and see how this works for a time. So here we, we, we discussed the one. You know, oh, she's the one. She's my soulmate until three months into the marriage and you realize um, all the problems associated with this one. And you go, oh, there's nobody perfect. Maybe she's not my soulmate. And you go, that's, again, that whole soulmate thing is, is bad. It's just bad. The one God intends for you to marry for those who are married is the one wearing your ring. And so you work that out. That is your soulmate. For those who are not married, now you have wisdom and discernment. There, apply wisdom and discernment. So let's talk a little bit here about some trouble spots for Marriage. We'll speak generally, not you guys. Not, not you guys. Um, what are some trouble spots some marrieds have early on in their marriage? Can't let go of friends. Okay. Or us mailbags. Do you want to add family to that? Family, Can't how do you mean, Mark? Extended family. How about we call it in-laws? And it may be your own family, might be your own family, not necessarily the in-laws, but okay, I'll, I'll go family. Yeah, huge. And that's the whole part of the leaving, you know, the leaving, can, can Junior actually leave Mama's apron strings? And will Mama actually cut the apron strings? Or does she have her claws buried deep into his soul and won't the, let him go? Those two are so connected, though, because if there's a problem with my family, there's a problem with your in-laws. So it's, yeah. that's where the friction comes yep. in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what else? Money. M m m <laughs> money. Money. Sex. The sexual relationship. <laughs> now we're going to talk about that in more detail here in a little bit probably next week what else could be work ethic too work ethic how do you mean yeah, yeah. Um, role role uh, role playing you're, you're the man you go to work okay uh, roles we'll, I'll call that roles yeah um, I'll, I'll put job down here too yeah, okay. Job or slash time, I basically you don't have time for one another. Lifestyle? What kind of lifestyle are we going to have? That might go up here with money. single guy or girl, you maybe have a certain routine, but once you get married, it kind of has to change. Yeah. But are you willing to change? Yeah. Are they still, I'm going out with my buddies Friday night or whatever. <laughs> well, We're watching games all weekend. And then you, I mean, when, once you bring children into the equation, then you've got different potential for different parenting. Mm -hmm. 
life's parenting styles, the way you think you should parent. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. These are all huge, huge issues. And you know what these do to marriages? They have the potential to destroy. They do. Or to bind together. To strengthen. What does Satan want to do with all of these things? <sighs> Rip you apart. These are the kinds of things that make you go, she's not my soulmate. Because we disagree on so many of these things. And you go, why didn't you talk about them before you got married? I think some people do, and they realize that they don't agree on those things. But there isn't the wisdom and the discernment to go, that's a reason not to marry this person. Or to at least... Try to come to some consensus before you marry. Because awesome. I would say the, the um, physical attraction as two really young people is so high that the wisdom of all of this other, yeah, takes so much lower. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, this, as we look at the one fleshedness between a husband and wife, for those of us with kiddos who are growing up, this is one of those things that we plow into our kids. We plow into the fact that, you know, if, if you haven't had issues with most of these as a married couple, you're rarer. There are things you have to work through. They are things you have to work through through and okay what if you go what if you go we are at an impasse we're a Christian couple and we're at an impasse and I go what do I do impasses are two-sided that neither side wants to give in right so what do I do when I'm at at that point are we assuming that this is a fundamental issue, like something that Scripture clearly speaks on, or a preference? Because Either I think one. if it's a if it's a fundamental issue that the Scripture clearly speaks on, then you shouldn't move if you are in the right. Okay. But, but you can't. But, we both speak but we're at an impasse. Well, I mean, I think you have to lovingly forbear with the person who's unwilling to see your side of it. I mean, what, are you, if they're what, asking you to continue in sin, I don't understand how you can... What do we do? Get counsel. You get counsel. Bring okay. someone else in. Okay. You will, likely, at some point in your relationship, be at an impasse. And if it's not a fundamental issue, then it's a, well, you know, what is best for the unit for the family, what is best for our marriage here, which requires both of you to get out of your selfish little selves to humbly bow and pray together to come to a, a, an issue if it's, if it's non-fundamental. If it is a fundamental, then 
you need someone to speak the truth into this, and it may require counsel. Okay? I'm sorry, I have to bring up something. Please. Because I've been through it. How do you find the right counsel? How do you find the right spouse? Because I went to a Christian counselor, and it didn't take me but two months to realize that she was only in it for the money. She wanted me to keep coming back because there was money on the table. As, as a saint, where would be the first place I would look for counsel? Yes, in your church. In your church. Hopefully, the elders are of a salt that you could go to them. And if your church is bigger, there may be a, a married couple, uh, an older married couple where you go, man, maybe they would sit down with us and hear us maybe wife to wife, husband to husband, and then together to work through this together. But, but there, has to be, there has to be a humility on the part of both to do that. If somebody's going to stand like the rock of Gibraltar and go, I'm right and I don't care, ick. That, person, that person's in sin. And may need the rebuke of the elders. Ooh, do I bring my spouse to the elders? Of, do I bring church discipline to my spouse? Should I? Huh? Do I love my spouse? I hope so. So yes, absolutely yes. If my spouse is in sin, if my spouse is in sin, I have to love my spouse so much so that I am willing that they not perish in their sin. That discipline be brought to my husband or my wife and that may be in counsel. It may come out very plainly that I am in stubborn, unrepentant, unwilling sin against her. And the elders go, dude, it is you. You are untoward toward your wife. You're in sin against your wife. And you need to repent. Tough. But do I love my wife? Absolutely. I don't want to abet her sin. I don't want to be codependent in that relationship where I am just, oh, Tracy's in sin, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want the people in the church to know my wife's in sin. I think, you know, the church is a great place to start. And depending on your church, there may or may not be there that can really provide what you need and so then to to look for a counselor a professional someone trained who makes a living doing that outside the church I think to, to ask around you know to find someone that people that you know and respect would recommend because I think there are people out there um, 
that are just in it for the money or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was speaking with someone yesterday yeah. who's in the midst of getting marriage counseling, and she's like, she asked me the same questions every week. Like, she doesn't remember what I said. I mean, how frustrating would that yeah. be to have to answer yeah. over and over again the same questions? It's like, what am I paying you for? We're not making any progress yeah. when you can't remember what I said last week. Yeah. Well, so. that's where as a counselor you go, yeah, you really probably need to seek somebody else since you're not going to follow my counsel. You're wasting my time and yours and money. All right. Um, we'll get into the importance of the physical relationship next week. Again, I don't intend to be tawdry, but th that this tends to be probably one of the big ones if we're going to rank them in order of problems um, early on, especially if the husband and wife have attempted or have actually maintained their purity prior to marriage. It could be complicated in the aftermath, or if they haven't, it can be really complicated in the aftermath as well. So we'll talk about the importance of the physical relationship uh, next week. Are there any thoughts or any questions on what we've talked about today? All right, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for your word, your sure word to us. And uh, God, I, I pray that the, the winds of culture and the deceit of the evil one who whispers in our ear, did God really say? For those who seek to neutralize the authority of your word from all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to the last chapter in Revelation, oh God, that their, that their tongues would be silenced. That your word would shine through and the truth of your word would have its way in our lives and in our hearts and our minds. God, that you would be glorified. Oh God, that's the, the binding power of sin would be broken. That people who truly do love you as Lord and Savior, God and Savior would seek after the holiness without which no one will see God. Father, please, even now as we go into worship, that you would bless us, heart, mind, and soul as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.